0: it's like you have to get this in order to free yourself from the trap of the cognitive dissonance because I hear a lot from people, well, you know, they're really not a narcissist or abuser because sometimes they're a really good person and sometimes it really seems like they're changing. That's how it works. Okay, if they were an asshole all the time, it would be obvious, the trick wouldn't work. That's why the idealization is so important to the abuse cycle, that's why it's so dangerous. I'm Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. Love bombing, otherwise known as idealization, is normally associated with the early stage of a relationship with a narcissist or other manipulator. It could be over-the-top attention, texting all day, calling for hours each day, spending most of your time together flattery of your physical appearance, intellect, talent, skills, etc. Sometimes, however, the love bombing isn't so intense and it's just simply pleasant. Things are just easy and fun or maybe it's just like everything is okay until it's not. The love bombing inevitably does a flip-flop into devaluation. Now, that's the easier part to recognize as abuse, when they start putting you down, giving you the silent treatment, stonewalling, triangulating, blame-shifting, outright verbally abusing you, etc. Idealization and devaluation are two sides of the same coin. Both are integral parts of the abuse cycle. The abuse doesn't work without the idealization. The love-bombing or idealization is actually the most dangerous part of the abuse cycle, Now, this seems counterintuitive, but here's why. The love bombing is the reason you become addicted to the abuser and the abusive relationship. Initially, it's the seduction process and softening you up. You start to build a tolerance to all the positive attention. Later in the relationship, it becomes used less often as a form of dosing. You become desperate for those little doses of positive contact with the abuser. You become obsessed with them and with getting back to the golden period. You develop withdrawal symptoms even. I've had a few clients who are former alcoholics and heroin addicts. They told me that it was easier to quit alcohol and even heroin, the most addictive substance on the planet, than it was to quit the abusive relationship and leave the abuser. So in case you were beating yourself up about the struggle to quit and leave and how hard that is, I hope this puts it into perspective for you just how difficult it really is. The love bombing is part of what causes the trauma bond or Stockholm Syndrome. It's the quote-unquote act of perceived kindness that hooks you and confuses you about who that person really is. It also causes cognitive dissonance, where your brain can't hold on to both the contradicting ideas that you have of the abuser. So, part of you wants to believe that they're a good person because they did all those things that they did during the love bombing moments. But another part of you recognizes that they also abuse, manipulate, use, and hurt you. That contradiction causes a short circuiting of the brain, which results in a brain fog and abuse amnesia where your brain deletes the abuse parts and wants to remember only the quote-unquote good times as a survival mechanism. The love bombing causes you to always be thinking back to those moments, and these memories keep you from cutting off the abuser. You keep thinking, but they did all of this, so they can't really be that bad. I remember the first time I finally heard the love bombing from my mother for what it was. I used to think she actually admired me and was happy for me, until one day while we were still in contact, I was reading one of her text messages and suddenly I got it. It just felt icky. It felt fake, superficial, empty, and hollow. Creepy. In that moment, the cognitive dissonance was gone forever because I finally saw through the good moments that I was hanging on to in an attempt to save a minimal contact relationship with her. I started having flashbacks of other love bombing that she'd done over the recent years and it was suddenly so clear. None of it was real. Someone commented on one of my videos not too long ago about how some parasites inject anesthesia into the host before they feed off them. Such is the nature of love bombing. I have some tips for you here on how to avoid the love bombing sickness and addiction. Now, keep in mind, many of these will be about romantic partners, but this concept can also apply to friends, family, bosses, co-workers, etc. 1. When you meet new people, don't believe a word they say for the first six months. Just classify that as, that's nice, and put it on the shelf for the time being without taking it to heart. My friend Florencia Deifis, another YouTuber here in Mexico City, taught me this. She was directly relating it to dating men, but I would say this applies to men and women and also connections that aren't just romantic. Number two, don't grab on with both hands to people's positive comments, attention, or the amount of time that they want to spend with you. Some of these can appear to be positive signs, when actually they might turn out in retrospect to be the subtle red flags that were there all along. 3 Don't invest too much time with new people. Seeing someone one to two times per week is appropriate at first. Having some daily contact via text or phone is fine, but when it's all day long, every day, from the wake-up text to the goodnight text or call, at the very beginning, this is a red flag. Now, that can be confusing because you might interpret it as a sign of interest when actually it's more of a sign of control. It could even be that maybe someone you knew in the past didn't give you enough attention. Like one of their main weapons was to ignore you, to give you the silent treatment, to seem disinterested. So if you're just begging for someone to show you that attention and invest that time, you could end up immediately meeting another manipulator who appears to be 180 degrees different when in actuality it's just a different form of the same kind of manipulation. So when someone is contacting you all day and you just started getting to know each other, this person is controlling your time and energy. They're controlling your mind. They're making sure they're always on your mind and they're always trying to be sure that you're not doing anything else or seeing anyone else but them. Number four, when you start seeing someone, always meet them in public places for at least the first two weeks. This creates a healthy boundary where they aren't alone with you behind closed doors, where things can get tempting to escalate the physical side of the relationship too quickly before getting to know them. If they invite you to hang out or watch Netflix, you know, at their place or your place, suggest meeting at a coffee house or restaurant, or even a park, a cinema, or museum. If money is an issue, you can even suggest things like taking a walk around your neighborhood or a lake or the city. If they pressure you to go home with them or to go up to your place when they drop you off, you can tell them that you really want to, but it's too soon for that because you want to get to know them first. If the person shames you, blames you, puts you down or gets aggressive, never see that person again. Now keep in mind, a man might get frustrated at first, but if he's a high-value man, he will be willing to wait, and likely he will also want to get to know you first. Keep in mind that some covert manipulators might be able to maintain the good person facade for a couple weeks in public, but the moment you give them the opportunity to kiss you or get more intimate, if they suddenly do something disrespectful like, Suck on your lips so hard they leave a bruise, otherwise known as a hickey, on your face. And then they justify it covertly by saying they're just very passionate and they give big kisses so you need to stop them if you're sensitive. Kick them out immediately and never see them again, despite all the wonderful things that you thought you saw those first few weeks. This is a true story, by the way. Number five. When they say, I love you in the first few weeks or dates, this is a huge red flag. It often doesn't seem like a red flag in the moment, especially if you didn't get that love, you know, like all your life growing up or from your ex or many of your exes. Maybe your previous ex was the kind of manipulator who would just never tell you that he loved you or she loved you. And so when this person tells you, you just think it's like the exact opposite thing, but it's really the same thing. So remember, you can't love someone that you barely know. That's called infatuation and intensity. It's not love if you don't even know them. Six, don't overshare details about your life and your vulnerability with a new person, even if they seem like an open book revealing all kinds of things about their past and difficult things that happened to them. This is often a trick that abusers will use to hook you with a pity ploy To confuse you into thinking that they're harmless and to get you to open up so they can analyze where your vulnerabilities are so they can manipulate you. This also creates a false sense of being closer to this person than you really are when you barely know them. Now sometimes the love bombing seems like you guys can just talk for hours and be so real and transparent when that actually turns out later to be a manipulation. That's why you want to take things slower, not see the person too much, not spend too much time with them, allow them to reveal themselves over time. Seven, talk with your close friends and family who you love and trust about the new people that you meet. Be honest with them. We often hide the things that we're ashamed of because we know it's not okay. Eight, if and when things suddenly take a sharp left turn, do not start giving that person a pass. Because of earlier pleasantries or love bombing, sharp left turns are when they do something manipulative, abusive, or disrespectful out of the blue. Like everything's going great, you're driving down the road, everything's wonderful, and then suddenly, sharp left turn, right? And you call them out on whatever that manipulative, abusive, or disrespectful thing was, and as soon as you call them out, they minimize, rationalize, and blame shift, which is also known as the DARVO reaction. DARVO stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So when they do that, when you call them out, that person just told you that they don't think they did anything wrong, which means it's going to keep happening, and you know exactly how they're going to justify that behavior next time when you call it out. So just say, bye-bye. And be done. Don't start justifying to yourself that it's okay because of all the previous good times. Now, you know that those were simply a seduction and love bombing. Normally, I like to give people the three-strike-rule chance. But sometimes, there are some people, in some situations like this, where it's one and done, no matter how many great times you had before then. nine listen for genuine versus emptiness hollowness and shallowness in their words and actions be careful because the intensity of the love bombing can make it seem real listen to your body and notice is it triggering icky feelings that's your sign maybe you can't even explain it it just feels icky this is going to be challenging if you're desperately seeking approval and validation from others because you're only going to want to focus on how good that feels, and this is a trap. 10. Value yourself and give yourself internal approval and validation so you don't seek that outside yourself. 11. Notice if the person is asking for compliments. This is a red flag. They might say things like, tell me good things about me. Or, I tell you all these things about you, but you never say anything about me. This is either a manipulator seeking positive narcissistic supply or an extremely insecure individual, in which case they're not healthy enough for a relationship anyways. If you feel pressured to say things that don't just come genuinely, that's not a good sign. Please listen to these tips over and over again if you recognize that you're struggling with recognizing when it's love bombing and when it's genuine positive connection. You need to be able to recognize this difference to avoid narcissistic abuse. When the love bombing doesn't work to seduce you or confuse you, you have developed immunity to narcissistic abuse and you will not get caught in another trauma bond. In addition, please remember that some of these manipulators and abusers are super stealthy covert types who are not immediately apparent even to the most trained eyes. Maybe someone you meet behaves themselves very well for the first few weeks and there aren't any red flags at all, but then suddenly one day that sharp left turn takes place and there's a sudden massive red flag and you realize who they are. Don't blame yourself for not seeing it sooner. Celebrate that you recognize the red flag as soon as it showed up and you had the self-trust to stand by your perception and go no contact. That in itself shows growth. It shows that you're developing immunity to narcissistic abuse. The reality is there are a lot of people like this out there and it's not your fault that you meet one. It is, however, your responsibility to take action to protect yourself as soon as a manipulator reveals themselves. It's important not to have any expectations of people because people will reveal themselves in time and they will either be compatible with you or not. When you aren't expecting them to turn out any certain way, you'll be a lot more able to see them for who they are. Now, expectations are not the same as standards. Your standards should be high as fuck because they are the basis for the boundaries that you create to protect your value, your health, sanity, well-being, peace, and everything you've worked hard to build in your life. Your standards help you build and maintain your self-worth. As soon as someone shows you their asshole, you'll be able to walk away because you value yourself more than giving that person any benefits of the doubt based on past experiences that you perceived as good moments, which were actually love bombing. Here are some of the best clips from my YouTube videos on this topic. Today I want to talk about why the idealization phase of the abuse is so dangerous. I want to talk about this idealization because the idealization is like the fun part of it all. like That's the part that feels good. It's the part that is not recognizable as the abuse. It's the devaluation that's the more hurtful part. That's the more obvious part of the abuse because it's cruel, it's mean, it might be biting criticism, heavy fear propaganda used to control your behavior, like those little double entendre little digs that they put in there. That sort of stuff is more obvious that it's not okay. So remember, the abuse cycle, is both the idealization and the devaluation. It's part of the whole. Cycle. This is one of the most important things to understand. These are the manipulators' primary styles of interaction. They're pretty much always either idealizing you or devaluing you, and they have many tools in each of those boxes. And also remember, it doesn't always look the same from abuser to abuser. If you've met more than one of these types, you might recognize that like the idealization phase and the devaluation phase were kind of different from person to person. So the IND, the idealization and devaluation, are known as the two phases of the abuse cycle. AKA the sweet mean cycle. I did a video on this last year, a little over a year ago, I think. It was called The Big picture. If you haven't seen that yet, I recommend watching it. I'm going to put the link in the video description below. Why is that important to see? Because it's like you have to get this in order to free yourself from the trap of the cognitive dissonance. Because I hear a lot from people, well, you know, they're really not a narcissist or abuser because sometimes they're a really good person and sometimes it really seems like they're changing. That's how it works. Okay, if they were an asshole all the time, it would be obvious. The trick wouldn't work that's why the idealization is so important to the abuse cycle that's why it's so dangerous. So recognize too that it's two phases, the idealization and the devaluation, yet the funny thing is they're both often happening in each phase to different degrees. It's just that the devaluation at the beginning during the more idealization phase is a lot more subtle. There's a lot more plausible deniability. There's smaller little digs. There's smaller little things. It's just a lot more subtle, but it's still going on under the surface. And then towards the end, when you're like in the heavy devaluation phase, the idealization is still used, mostly only when they want to pull you back in. Like when they sense that you're moving away, that you're withdrawing, that you're taking away the narcissistic supply, you're not giving them that reaction that they want, that's when they'll start idealizing you again to start to pull you back in. Remember, at the beginning, the idealization might be subtle. Like the love bombing is not always over the top. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it just might be like some little flattery, which you might perceive as genuine compliments or just subtle signs of approval or kindness. Remember the Stockholm Syndrome, which is the trauma bond, works on this intermittent reinforcement. I love you, I love you not, I approve you, I disapprove you. And this back and forth creates a stronger bond. This is well known. For example, in the pickup artist community, there's a book called The Game. There's another book called The Mystery Method. There's probably a lot more out there. You know, and essentially what they're teaching men to do, and again, I'm not saying all these abusers are men. Okay. I'm just saying the whole pickup artist thing is generally teaching men how to trick women, and essentially to get them caught in this intermittent reinforcement to create a strong bond with them, right? But when you add on top of that intermittent reinforcement abuse, that's when the trauma bond is created, right? So even without the outright abuse, it's dangerous because it's manipulative. And the people who do it know what they're doing. It's really important to understand. They know what they're doing. They know if they give you a little bit of idealization and then the devaluation that they've got you hooked into that cycle. Often both the idealization and the devaluation can be used in the same conversation and interaction. And it's often like very subtle at first, especially the more covert the person is. It could be so very subtle. And then the flip-flop is increasingly more intense as the months and years go by, like you know, when the stock market is about to crash, that flip-flop, the up and down, it's it's a lot more intense like just before the crash. Usually, they'll only hurt you, remember, to comfort you, right? So they'll they'll hurt you and then they'll comfort you. They'll feel that they're sorry, you know, they'll do something and then oh I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. Or they get you to take the blame and the responsibility of what happened, and then they forgive you. You know, that kind of thing. Or they'll flatter you, only to end that sentence with a subtle little put-down. For example, you're so wonderful because blah, 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 and you know, you're also blah, blah meaning that you're not good enough. Or they give you or do something for you that they know that you'll love, and then they'll guilt trip you into doing something for them. It's the bait and switch. It's the boss who tells you how wonderful you are, how they wish they had more employees like you, how no one works with the same work ethic and dedication, And then Friday at 4 p.m., they show up at your cubicle or your office door, and they dump this extra work on you, and they ask you to work over the weekend. So essentially, they softened you not to be able to say no, because then if you say no, then all those positive things they said about you are null and void. It's the mother who tells you how proud she is of you. She's just so happy for you and your accomplishments. And then she sends you a birthday card with some kind of covert message implying that you should just... Play it small. It's the partner or the friend who tells you nobody gets you nobody gets them like you do uh, no one has helped them like you do you're just such an amazing and giving person they're so lucky to have you in their life and then they start guilt tripping you into taking responsibility for them and their shit and then when they refuse to take care of themselves and they try to get you to do it for them if you don't do it then it's like everything good that they said about you is null and void it's the bind it's how they get you trapped so why is it so dangerous if you don't realize what's going on with the idealization. On the surface, it's confusing. It looks like kindness, approval, compliments, admiration. It sucks you in. It's seduction, but that seduction is not always sexual. It could be a female friend that tells another female that she's praising her, her looks. It could be anybody praising your talents, your qualities, your accomplishments, anything in your life in general that you've done or that you have or that you are. This idealization tempts you to place your sense of approval in the other person. And when you watch that video, the big picture, I talk about that, or maybe it was another one actually that I wrote, something about the danger of placing your approval in another person. Where, so say this person's here and they're giving you this approval and, and they're giving you all these co- positive things, and then maybe you start to lean into that because it feels good. As soon as this person takes one step away, what happens? You fall flat on your face, that's the whole trick. So that idealization softens your boundaries because it feels good. It feels good to everybody it turns off your alarm system. So when someone's praising you and then they do something kind of sneaky and tricky right after that, you might not notice it so much because that alarm system got turned off by the feel good. The idealization is used also when you're slipping away, when they sense that you're withdrawing, that you're not giving them that supply that they need, that you just might leave. That's when they're going to start a whole nother round of idealization until they get you in again and then it flips back to devaluation. So essentially the idealization tricks you into thinking that the abuser has a good side. And it creates this false hope that one day they'll just be that good person, so you stay waiting around for that day that will never come. Or it causes you to miss the good times. And by creating that false hope, you might stay reaching for that carrot on a stick that you'll never get because it just keeps moving. Or you might get hoovered back in even after you've gotten out because you started feeling nostalgic for those good times. I I just see this over and over again. That idealization is an inherent part of the trauma bond. When we talk about Stockholm Syndrome, one of the four characteristics is a perceived act of kindness. So, really, really get that. Like, write it down if you have to, if you're really struggling with that denial. Like, put it on little sticky notes, put it on your phone, write it on your bathroom mirror, something so that you get it into your head. Once you see through the idealization for what it is, it feels so fake and empty and then you're not fooled by it anymore. So the bottom line is if you don't fall for the idealization, you won't get trauma bonded. It doesn't mean you're not going to meet one of these people. It doesn't mean you might not see it right right away if that person is really covert. But when the devaluation really starts, your alarm system will go off and you'll know that something isn't right, even if it's really subtle at first. And even if you give them the benefit of the doubt at first, you'll be able to recognize a lot quicker what's going on because you won't don't be emotionally hooked to the good times or the approval that that person was giving you If you value yourself that idealization doesn't knock you off balance so you'll be able to leave without the pain that you felt in the past with others without the gravity of the trauma bond because you're not going to get trauma bonded to that person because you didn't fall for the idealization. So then when the devaluation becomes evident, you're out. Remember, it's not so easy to see at first, especially with those covert types. So essentially becoming immune to the idealization is how you build antibodies against this insidious virus, of narcissistic abuse. So how do you not fall for the idealization? Number one, stop placing your sense of approval in other people, stop doing it. Start validating and approving of yourself. Maybe you never had that validation and approval since childhood because you grew up with a narcissistic parent, that wasn't your fault. But recognize like this is what created your your tendency to people please because you're seeking approval that you didn't get at home or that you got only occasionally when you were doing what that narcissistic parent wanted you to do. So recognize if that that's you and then start giving that approval and that validation to yourself on the daily. Notice your reaction when someone praises you, okay? How do you feel? And then what's your response? So if you notice that you're leaning into that a lot or if you notice that it really knocks you off center or you're like, oh my god, that kind of reaction. Catch yourself doing that and ask yourself, how can you neutralize that? How can you neutralize your response to that? So that when someone praises you, you get used to going, thanks, and you don't invest anymore in it. That's how you maintain your immunity. That's how you build antibodies to this kind of abuse. So practice not allowing yourself to get knocked off center when someone praises you, and then you won't get doped up on the idealization, and that will keep your head clear. Today, I want to talk about the flip side of idealization. So most often we hear about the form of idealization that the narcissist does, otherwise known as love bombing. What's not often talked about is how this abuse training then gets internalized by the target. The target then learns to idealize the abuser and then maybe even random other people, which causes a whole bunch of other problems. So I want to talk about how this internalization of the idealization happens what is idealization what's so dangerous about idealizing someone and then i'm going to give you some tips to avoid idealization so how does the whole internalization of the idealization happen well the abuser idealizes you and then devalues you and it goes back and forth you know the abuse cycle so you feel like you have to live up to this perfect image in order to gain conditional love and approval from that abusive person. Now, this might have started in childhood for you, or it might have happened recently in an adult relationship. And of course, it feels better to be idealized than devalued, but actually both of those are not healthy. They're two sides of the same coin, and I've talked about that in other videos. So, what is idealization? The Cambridge Dictionary says to think or represent someone or something as perfect. Dictionary.com says in psychoanalysis, it is a mental mechanism operating consciously or unconsciously, in which one person overestimates an admired attribute of another. It comes from the Latin word idea or idea, which simply means existing as an archetype, so many of us, mostly the golden children, if you were raised in a family with a narcissistic parent. If you were the golden child, maybe you ended up idealizing your narcissistic parent before you realized who they really were, especially the more covert that parent is. Then maybe you notice that this can happen with your teachers, your mentors, leaders, bosses, celebrities, coworkers, friends, even random new people that you might meet. So what's so dangerous about idealizing someone? Essentially, when we idealize someone, we put them up on a pedestal, which means they're above us, they're superior, to us in some way. And that can lead you to feel inferior into accepting behavior from that person that's not respectful, fair, or kind to you. It can also cause you to continually compare yourself to others and feel like you have to live up to someone else's ideals. This is where perfectionism comes from. How many of you have struggled with perfectionism? Perfectionism is a huge source of shame of not feeling good enough, because no one can live up to that ideal of perfect. No one. We are all perfectly imperfect. The result of idealization and perfectionism is you make yourself sick trying to live up to an impossible standard. So you end up feeling less than, like a loser, like a failure, How does this manifest? Okay, maybe you scroll through Instagram models and you idealize their bodies. And never mind, most of that is done with Photoshop. The model took 300 photos just to get one at just the perfect right flattering angle, lots of makeup. Or maybe you do the same with fashion magazines or watching movie stars. Maybe you idealize a sports figure or some other celebrity for a talent that they have or a skill that they have. Maybe you idealize a teacher or other leader, and maybe you never let yourself feel good enough because you feel like you're never going to arrive at their level of success or knowledge, fame, creativity, whatever that person's known for. Or maybe you meet new people and you idealize them and then that blinds you from seeing their true colors and the red flag because that no longer, you develop a bias and then the actual red flags and the evidence that's there doesn't support that bias so you don't even see that stuff. So idealization essentially is one of those things where the abuse programming teaches you to abuse yourself through holding yourself to impossibly high standards of perfectionism. This goes on into a downward spiral cycle. In cases where you're idealizing a manipulative abusive person, the results can be more abuse because if you're idealizing this person, you don't want to see their bad side, you don't want to see what they're doing to you, they're going to keep hurting you and abusing you. This can also become like an addiction where you can't stop yourself from looking at the person or the source, whatever that is that you're idealizing, and you keep making yourself sick. This, by the way, was inspired by a client of mine who's now become like an adopted little sister to me, and she's really struggled with this addiction. She's asked me to talk about this topic for a while now. I think a lot of you might be able to relate to this. So I want to give you some tips to avoid idealization. Number one, never put anyone above you. Okay, you can admire people for who they are, for what they've accomplished, but understand they are not superior to you. Number two, be careful when you're meeting new friends or potential, potential romantic partners not to idealize them because you might miss giant problems or red flags where they don't meet your standards of respect and then you could end up accepting treatment that's not respectful to you. Number three, don't look at your teachers, mentors, leaders, YouTubers like they're perfect because they're not. We are all human beings. Number four, notice when you're idealizing someone and remind yourself that's a human being. Stop comparing comparing yourself to everyone else. Remember, the narcissist taught you that by constantly comparing you to other people through that triangulation process. So you internalized that comparison. That's another part of this idealization. And number five, if you're making yourself feel bad or not good enough as someone else, ask yourself, what is it that you admire about that person? Then dedicate yourself to learn something new. Maybe you admired the knowledge that that person has. So you want to learn something new. You want to take a new class. You want to read some books. Maybe you admire a skill that this person has. So you want to practice taking classes, training, consistently practicing to develop that kind of skill. Maybe you admire someone's physical appearance. Okay, so do something new to your appearance. Get a new haircut, dye your hair, do something with your makeup, get some new clothes, go to the gym regularly. Just be mindful that this doesn't become an obsession. Okay, there's a difference between dedication and obsession. Dedication is healthy. Obsession is not. So that's the message I have for you today. If you've struggled with this, let me know in the comments below. If you found a way to start to overcome this, let me know as well, because I think it will be helpful for other people to see your experiences. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough. You matter. And you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.